Listen to me, I'm you. I'm you with a new face. Check out this bone structure, Doctor, because one day you're going to be shaving it. We know we see all the men you have to be. Just how much you give all the lives you live. From Gillette Sensor Technology comes the Gillette Series. Shaving, aftershave, and deodorant products to help a man look, feel, and be his best. Series with Gillette Sensor is redefining men's grooming. I'm Liam. Hello and I'm Rob. And today we're going to be having a look at some multi-doctor charity specials. Starting off with Dimensions in Time, then Because of Fatal Death and Time Crash. It hadn't occurred to me at first that they were all charity specials in particular. Obviously I knew they were. Uh-huh. But um, since we selected them, mm. it just... Um, all of a sudden occurred it was yeah yeah no i think it's just one of those happy coincidences because one of the things that we've, we've been doing obviously is having a look at multi-doctor stories in general and then these came up because we're doing them in chronological order um mm. but it just so happens that another thing that ties these ones that we're looking at is that they're all charity special so it's it's, it's a it's serendipitous yeah and then I, I went and got confused, and I'm thinking, well, why aren't we looking at these other charity specials? And then I, I had to re- remind myself, just multi-doctor stories. Yeah, just multi-doctor stories. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get on with that, how, how have you been? I'm good, thanks. This week's flew by. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't even listened to last week's podcast. Obviously, I was there, <laughs> and then I, I then I edited it. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't listened to it through it for a third time. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so it's been quite a busy week. Yeah. No, no, well, I was there. I remember it well, but I've also listened to it and uh, good job with the editing. I thought it was uh, quite good. Oh, good. Cheers. No problem. Um, apart from like the odd moment when he, that you pointed out that I needed to re-edit. Um, just so the listeners know, if you ever listen to the podcast and there's like a minute of dead silence, it's because I've done the editing that week. <laughs> <laughs> it's only happened once or twice. It's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think what cracked me up is because there was a there was a moment of dead silence and then we just heard the dog. Oh yes, that's when I banished him from the room. <laughs> well, he's not he's not here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we all know, um, Doctor Who ended in nineteen eighty nine, and it wouldn't come back for another four years um, until it returned for the thirtieth anniversary. Um. Um, and in aid of children in need, we were given Dimensions in Time, an anniversary story um, technically featuring all seven Doctors mm-hmm. and, a ho- and a whole bunch of returning companions. Yeah. I watched it recently. Obviously, all, these are all available on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank God. Um, and I know before before YouTube came along, not everyone had seen Dimensions in Time. Or it was just in everyone's distant memory. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it had a bit of a bad reputation. I can't think why. Um, it's one of those things where if you watched it, if you were there, by golly, did you remember it? Um, <laughs> I mean, once seen, never forgotten. Um, 
it was a bit funny with the timing for me because when I watched when I watched it, this was very early on for me getting into Doctor Who, uh, and I when I, as soon as I discovered the program, I got into it really really quickly and became a fan. And one thing that I was looking at was um, certain broadcast dates. So the very first story that I watched was Planet of the Daleks, which mm-hmm. was a John Pertwee story, which was repeated in 1993. Um, and I, it was just something that I accidentally caught on television. And starting with the first episode, which was broadcast on Friday the 5th of November at half seven in the evening. So it's, it's, it's quite nice being able to find out that's when I first watched Doctor Who. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And I was com- completely captivated by it. And with the repeats, they were, they, were, they were repeated like they were originally broadcast. So you had to wait um, uh, the following week for the following episode and so on. So Friday the 5th of November was the first episode. Then Friday the 12th was episode 2. Episode 3 was Friday the 19th of November. Friday the 26th of November would have been episode 4, but that was delayed by a week because episode 1 of Dimensions and Time was broadcast. Oh, that's just confusing. <laughs> but I remember, I mean, well, hang on, because I've just had that, that, that bit of a spill. What, what were your memories of, I mean, do you, do you remember the build-up to it? No, not at all. Obviously, I was quite young, mm-hmm. so no, I don't. Obviously, I remember it happened and it existed, <laughs> <laughs> and then it just fell into distant memory after that. Well, I think because for me, this was something that uh, this was a television program that I just discovered, and as I said, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, and I generally believed what I was watching. I think we take something like the Daleks for granted now because they're so iconic, but they're such a brilliant design. And so completely alien, unlike anything else you've ever seen before. So as a six-year-old, seeing the Daleks for the first time, I was completely captivated by it and believed that these things were alien beings from another planet. And because of the music and the title sequence, and John Pertwee's Doctor, who I thought was just the best hero ever. Um, so I, I got into this program, I was tremendously excited by it. And then there was this thing, Dimensions and Time, which was an entirely new doctor who story and it because my memory of it was that this was sort of like event television they were really building it up and the big thing about it was um i mean i suppose there was a a big thing about you know doctor who was coming back but the the big thing about it was the fact it was it was going to be made and broadcast in 3d Mm. and that that was the big focus and it was children in need which I mean, you may disagree. I think Children in Need, although it's still a charity event that the BBC does to this day, I think it was a much bigger deal in the 90s than it is now. I still, yeah, it, possibly. It still raises a heck of a lot of money, which is good. But in terms of television, it felt like Children in Need was a much bigger thing. And weirdly as well, because... Um, Dimensions in Time had two episodes. So episode one was broadcast as part of Children in Need and episode two was broadcast the following day, which was a Saturday as part of Noel's House Party, mm-hmm. which at the time was the biggest um, light entertainment show going. It was immensely popular. I remember watching it. I remember it clearly, yeah. yeah. I've watched it. I've watched a few 
recently on YouTube. I don't don't ask us why. <laughs> just sat there watching this, <laughs> but um, I was surprised how much I remembered them. Yeah, I mean, it was it was big big event television, and it was sort of um, in the way that uh, what was it? So ITV had things like Blind Date, and the BBC had no no head no Edmonds House Party. <laughs> One of the funny things is is that. When they're introduced in the first episode of Dimensions of Time, which is which you can see on YouTube, um, John Pertwee says, I've just come back from 2010. And Noel Edmonds, you're still on television. Well, folks, mm-hmm. that was true. Although I, th- I love the joke when he goes, is it, is it quality television? He just goes, I don't deal in fantasy. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say that deal or no deal was, wasn't, wasn't quality television. No. Or I could just be being a snob, I don't know. <laughs> But that wasn't John Pertwee, that was the Doctor. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, it's just that the, the two look very familiar. Yes, sorry, the Doctor. And I love that line, they told me <laughs> they told me he was thick, I thought they were talking about his waist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel so bad for the audience, they're, it's totally hyped up. And they're all sat there with the 3D glasses, watching the tiniest telly ever. <laughs> and it's probably good, because they probably couldn't even see it, <laughs> from where they were sat. So Rob, uh, do you want to? So do you want to sum up the plot of uh, Dimensions in Time? Plot. <laughs> yeah, the plot. I, I must have missed that. <laughs> I thought it was just a bunch of incoherent scenes. Like, who can we get in today? <laughs> yeah, I had to um, had to dig deep to find the plot, but it, it is there. It, mm. it needs another rewatch. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, so... it's very it's it's a very it's very dense. There's mm. a lot going on. No, I mean seriously, it's it's one of those things because I remember at the, as I say, I remember at the time. I I remember sitting down watching it. I remember the hype and the whole thing about it being in three D, um, because they had these three D glasses which they were selling everywhere. I remember I, you would go into Tesco supermarket and they had mm. these big sort of um uh cardboard bins which were just full of these 3d glasses which you would buy and all the money would go to children in need i think they raised five million pounds from the glasses oh really yeah oh. so obviously lots of people bought them it seemed to be advertised everywhere and i remember the excitement because this was a program that i was just getting into it was new doctor who but it was in 3d and it was the 3d which was the big thing for me and um, the funny thing is, I've managed to dig out some three D glasses. Loads, <laughs> uh, um, just I managed to have them lying around. Um, so when I was watching it on YouTube again, I was watching up the three D glasses, and it took me back to being six and watching it in three D and going, "Oh, that effect works!" And then the rest of it just being a massive disappointment. Um, which effects in particular, like the opening scene? Yeah, so the the um, some of the the weird moving things around Tom Baker worked a bit. It mainly didn't. The uh, the Rani's TARDIS, which looks like a, a space capsule, that worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had you know that, that felt like it was coming out the screen a bit. They um, the title sequence because uh, they seem to chuck in a lot more stars flying from right to left in the background, and that seemed to give it more of a three D effect. Okay. Um, but nothing much else. It was sort of oh. it was a bit disappointing, and I remember I remember as a six year old 
being a bit disappointed with the 3D and then just thinking, what on earth is that? Uh, what was all... Because they really built this up. It was, there was a lot of hype, as you pointed out before, because they were really building it up. And then, and, then, and then watching it and just going, what, what on earth was that? Mm-hmm. So I think you can agree it was probably a commercial success with regards to raising money yes. for charity. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't quite deliver. I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity because the the take all the the take the format of Doctor Who and put it in EastEnders mm-hmm. and they might as well have put it anywhere. Um because if they're gonna put it in EastEnders, they they should put them in a scenario where it's basically just character drama. Yeah. If you know what I mean. If they, you, you literally you take the characters from Doctor Who, you put them in a drama, it, that's the format they're in. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> it didn't quite gel together. Well, from what I understand, um, there were attempts of actually writing a decent proper story. Um, but that actually meant spending money, which the BBC weren't particularly keen on. I mean, at that point, they weren't massively behind i mean i'm amazed that this thing got made the Mm -hmm. bbc weren't particularly fond of of doctor who at this point in fact they were quite embarrassed by it hence the reason got one of the reasons it got cancelled in 1989 Mm -hmm. but it come back for this thing i think that i can see the logic of it being set in eastenders in the sense that um it's this outdoor set which is already built and they can just utilize it so it looks like the doctor's out and about in a real place yeah so i can get them using the location but it's really funny because um, because one of the things as well, there was a big deal about the fact that, that this was made in 3D. Uh, in fact, it also featured on Tomorrow's World, which was a very popular science program at the time, which was looking at then current technology. And I managed to find a clip of that on uh, on YouTube. So they describe how how it was made in 3D and the, and the details of the perfect effect and all the rest of it. Mm. But in order for the 3D to work, the camera has to be constantly on the move, um, mm. and it's funny because they introduce, uh, sorry, they uh, they interview John Nathan Turner, uh, the producer, mm-hmm. and it's really funny because he's actually really honest about it, and he's saying, I think to make to make drama like this, it's really limited. It do, it really doesn't work. This can only be a gimmick, is essentially what he says. Because in order to make a drama in this way, it's 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 sort of artificial because you constantly have to have the camera sort of like either panning from right to left or left to right or whizzing around the characters. Yeah. It did whiz around um, Pat Butcher, didn't it, for quite a while? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, d- yeah. Pat Butcher features quite heavily in, uh, uh, in, uh, in one of the episodes. And yeah, <laughs> she's the main focus and the camera just keeps on whipping around. Yeah. And... Great, great cinematography. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's really, it's just a really, really bizarre thing. I don't get why it was made. I mean, in some respects, I think it's great that it's there because it's one of those things, it's got to be seen to be believed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you were being generous, you could just describe it as camp amusing nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's fine. But I think the problem, one of the problems with it, especially given when it was broadcast, was I think for non I mean I think fans of Doctor Who would have been disappointed when just gone what on earth is this I think non-fans for them 
this was probably one of the things that confirmed what they thought Doctor Who was, which was mm-hmm. um, this series, which dealt with complicated, nonsensical, time-related plot elements mm-hmm. that try to be cutting edge with cutting edge with technology, but came across as naff and cheap and had big daft rubber monsters. Yeah. Girls screaming a, in naff cliffhangers. It's a shame. Um, when you consider how survival ended, the final scene, it gives a sense that this show, this journey is going to endure and go on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly we've got the Seventh Doctor and Ace back, mm-hmm. which is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but it, the whole thing is delivered pretty poorly. Yeah, I mean, the, the script, the lines so, are appalling. There's a, my favourite bit is when um, the Rani calls the doctors bumbling imbeciles because they're working out what's going on. <laughs> Fantastic. Blundering fools. They're getting too near the truth. And, I mean, and who can... I mean, it's got classic lines like, pickled in time, like gherkins in a jar. I mean, these are classic <laughs> lines, people. <laughs> Pickled in time, like gherkins in a jar. Yeah, there's some great quotes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what do you think of the opening scene um, with the Ronnie's TARDIS? In what way, think? Um, well, we've got the the console, which has been repainted mm-hmm. black and red. Yeah. Well, what what do you think about that? About the design? It looks all right. Looks all right. Yeah. It's really weird as well because towards the end of the classic series of Doctor Who, um, the TARDIS set was falling to bits. The only, in fact, because the only original prop, fully functional prop from the classic series is actually that 80s console. Mm. But the set was falling to bits. There's a scene in Battlefield, which is very brief in the first episode, where they're in the TARDIS. Um, but because none of the set existed, they've just basically got a backdrop that is lit from the back, and it's very close-up shot of Sylvester McCoy um, talking to Ace. It works, but they basically didn't have the money just even to build a, some walls for the TARDIS. Right, okay. But they've done it for this. Yeah, it's strange. Uh, one of the things I've done is uh, I've dug out um, the Doctor Who yearbook, 1995, which I got as a Christmas present in 1994. Keep up with the back. And um, there's a section on it where uh, Sophie Aldred is, is basically talking about her time of making Dimensions in Time. You know, and by all accounts, it was tremendous good fun. But there's just a couple of things. that I love how she goes, um, she was quite excited to arrive in Albert Square. And this is what she says. She goes, in real life, it looks small and shabby and nothing like it does on television. <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> I think Sophie Aldred's got a sense of humour. Um... <laughs> they are actually remaking the whole set now. Oh, for, what, for, for uh, EastEnders? Yes, because apparently it's it wasn't built for high definition. <laughs> <laughs> and um, all the, the brick walls on the houses are just false facets on sets you know what i mean so uh, they're not re- not even real bricks so <laughs> all right okay the whole thing um does need a um, facelift i think <laughs> uh, but they're gonna um design it like it should look in modern day london 
So I think maybe one day you'll be watching the show and it's all different. <laughs> Interesting thing about the EastEnders set, if you're watching Afwida Same Pet, uh-huh. you know when they're working on the, the building site yes. in Germany, uh-huh. that that site becomes Albert Square. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. okay. I always like to think they were, they were actually building it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the case. Yeah. Oh, I never knew that. Okay. Yeah. I remember when um, I was in year seven, so the first year of secondary school, and we had a school trip to France. And we, so because we're up in Newcastle, so we were taking a coach down. So we took a coach from Newcastle down to Dover. Then we took the ferry uh, across over to Calais. Then we drove from Calais to Paris. And when we hit Calais, I think it was a couple of miles outside. I never understood why this was, but there was a massive uh, sign for EastEnders. How do you mean a sign for EastEnders? Um, it looked like there was this plot of land. And they had a sign as if to say... <laughs> somehow that was involved in the production of EastEnders, but there was this huge sign with it on. I never understood. I, I never got it. I was just, but we were in France. I don't understand. I was really confused by that. That is strange. Yeah. So where we're up to in the story that we're talking about. Oh yeah. Um, Seven meets Ace. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal, but it turned out to be executed a bit naff. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Sixth Doctor meets Ace. Yeah. And within a split second, they're aware of what's going on and they just get on with it. Yeah, no messing about. Yeah. Um, oh, and then the Sixth Doctor, um, when they're on, when they're in the market, he's saying about some clothes, like, oh, they clash <laughs> or something, and he's wearing his outfit. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um... He meets the Brigadier. He does, yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, oh, the Third Doctor and Mel. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting combination. Yeah. In 2013, and flares are back in fashion. They weren't far off. I remember when I was uh, 2010, I bought, I bought some flares. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was a brief period where they were back in fashion. And I bought some. <laughs> Strangely, I seem to be the only person wearing them. Yeah. It got Just some sat, comments. Sat there watching Deal or No Deal in your flares. <laughs> no, I was working at that point. I went to work wearing my flares. <laughs> Don't know why people were commenting on it. It was really odd. <laughs> oh, you should have said, Just wait till 2013, they'll be in. Because <laughs> I've seen the future. Also, the Sixth Doctor and Susan. That's another um, team up. Uh huh. Um, was it just the one scene for Caroline Ford? Yeah. Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. Oh, Sarah Jane comes out the Vic, and meets the Third Doctor. Yep. This is in 2013, and we've got a futuristic train going overhead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that. Uh, yeah, it's a nice touch. I mean, the thought about these things, but like so much in like in dimensions and time, it's like, oh, why are you even bothering? <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is just peculiar. Yeah. It's like they bothered updating the train, but if you watch EastEnders now, it's still the same crappy set from the 80s. <laughs> so what you're saying is Dimensions and Time has a lot more thought put into it. Yeah. EastEnders. <laughs> 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 um, 
Oh yes, the the Ronnie sees that the Doctor's getting too near to the truth, so she sends in the menagerie of monsters. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Basically, everything that they still managed to have stuffed in some BBC uh, <laughs> locker somewhere. <laughs> and obvi- I'm guessing all these aliens and creatures are un- under some kind of mind control. Yeah. I, I hope. One thing, hang on. One thing I do have to say is, given how clearly just thrown together the thing is, um, mm-hmm. with certainly with the script, because there doesn't seem to be one, um, it's actually you've got Peter Davison who gives a bloody good performance. Oh, that is brilliant, isn't it? In the center of the square. Yeah. And he has it, and there's that chase scene as well. Oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Fifth Doctor with Perry and Nyssa. I've wrote down in my notes here, dramatic chase scene. <laughs> and then I wrote Pat Butcher, the bump into her. Oh, yeah, yeah. best. I think probably the, arguably the best bit in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a there's an odd, odd few good bits to come. Um, the Queen Vic's full of aliens upstairs. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we've got the cliffhanger um, where Ronnie emerges from the Queen Vic. Yeah, and uh, it's had me wondering. Um, we see a TARDIS a couple of times in this. We see the TARDIS, which is the the spaceship model. Yeah. Yeah. We'll also see the TARDIS at Greenwich at the end. Yeah, it's some strange stone thing. Yep. Yep. Um, could the Queen Vic also be the TARDIS? Because she's in the TARDIS, and on two occasions she just pops her head out the Queen Vic. I think it isn't her TARDIS disguised as the Queen Vic doors or something like that. Yeah, yeah, right, okay. I like to think it's the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um So that was the cliffhanger for part one. Um so part two was on Nose House Party, is that right? Uh yeah, so that was on the uh that was on the Saturday right. the um the twenty seventh of November. Right. And obviously they had a phone in to raise money. To vote for who should influence the story, vote Mandy or Big Ron. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and oddly enough, both outcomes let the story progress in exactly the same way. Yeah, and the thing is, it's it happens, and it's it's not as if it's a major, it's not as if it's a major thing in the episode. Yeah. It's just sort of Mandy comes well, along, bumps into the Ronnie, then runs off again. I find it really annoying because you've got Liz Shaw. Uh, and she runs off and she battles the Rani and then Mandy just comes in and stops her. <laughs> yeah, she just sort of like slightly bumps into the Rani. The Rani's thrown by this, I think drops the gun and then they both run <laughs> off. Yeah. Well, £101,000 were raised. Well, I think that's a thing. Um, I think Dimensions in Time works in that it raised money for children in need. Yeah. Which is pretty much what it was what it was what it was made for it just so happened that it was broadcast near its 30th anniversary so it was seen as a also a bit of an anniversary special yeah oh, bloody hell um, and the radio times obviously really sold it as an anniversary special didn't they yeah yeah they did and it was like you know look who's back mm. and it's 3d and isn't, yeah. it, isn't it exciting oh, i love the bit before part two when um Noel's got his uh, 3D glasses on uh-huh. and the, the audience is giggling at him and he says it better be worth it to look this stupid 
Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently not. Oh, but you know what I find even funnier is after the end of the first episode. So it's um, he, he's talking about you know if you if you want um, man you know t- to influence the episode, you can phone in. So if you want Mandy to save the day, call whatever the number is, and then if you want a p- big Ron, call this number. The audience are laughing, as if to say this is ridiculous. <laughs> like who cares? Uh, and that audience were clearly very smart. <laughs> but uh, that made me chuckle a bit. Yeah. So if you voted back then, could you now say you are once a member of the Doctor Who production team? <laughs> <laughs> bit, bit of a claim to fame. <laughs> I was involved in Dimensions in Time. <laughs> the funny thing is, right, okay, we laugh, right? Um... Because the Dimensions in Time was written, and I use that in the loosest pos- possible sense, but it was written by um, by Jonathan Turner and a chap called David Roden. David Roden, right, during 2007 and 2008, apparently worked for BBC Wales Drama Department mm-hmm. uh, alongside the production team for season four of Doctor Who. Right, okay. He must have admitted that from his CV, mustn't he? Dimensions in time. Yeah. To get to get that job. Well, he, I mean, he's also been... A, must a, have lied. I was not involved yeah, in that. That was a different all. David Roden. I mean, apparently he's also <laughs> been a script editor for Coronation Street. Right, okay. The rival. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would assume that he's admitted uh, Dimensions in time from his CV. If he hasn't, he's a brave man and, you know, it hasn't done any harm. But <laughs> Hey, if I voted Mandy, it would be on mine. <laughs> It's funny because, as I say, this has always been something. Dimensions of Time's always been something that stuck with me. I've always rem- remembered it. Um, and back in 2017, um, I was in London for a few days, and so I went over to Greenwich because I wanted I wanted to see the Royal Observatory and see um, and see the clocks that they've got there and everything. But mm. I was walking down, and um, when I was at Greenwich. I couldn't, you know, I was impressed with the architecture. I was just thinking about, the, you know, the, the time it was made and everything like that. But I'm afraid to say it did take me back on. This is where Dimensions in Time was filmed. And then it, <laughs> it, it did, I've gone with it. It did cross my mind. It's just gone. It's so weird. <clears throat> and then I followed, um, I walked up the, uh, the length of the river. And then it's, I've forgotten how long, maybe a five minutes walk from there. There's the Cutty Sark. And uh, I'm there, and I'm not thinking about you know the history of this amazing ship. I'm just thinking <laughs> that was in dimensions in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it, what I'd be thinking. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's it, it's ruined my cultural appreciation of things. <laughs> it's got a lot to answer for. Okay, so the fifth Doctor, I, I'd like to say he's the most prominent, strong Doctor in this story. Yeah, which it should be the current Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. But never mind. Um, he's got this great scene. He comes across really strong, faces off with the Rani, and then he uses telepathy to summon his other selves. Yeah. Um, and this is in keeping with the theme of the other multi doctor stories. Yep, that's true. It's, all, it's always been there. Yep. Yep. So a bit of continuity, consistency. So then we've got Pertwee and Liz facing off with the Rani. Obviously, like I said, um. Liz chases after her, oh. and then she's gone. It's like 
did she die? I don't know. Um, the third doctor just dri- drives away and leaves her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just still there. I don't know. Mandy saved her. <laughs> so you can drive off. It's not a problem. Yeah. So after this, obviously, you mentioned the sixth doctor meets the brig. Yep. And he says, um, "You'll catch up with him another time." Mm-hmm. And he does on audio. Great. So it so all ties in. Yep. So what you're saying is Dimensions and Time is canon. Yeah. Right. The Spectre, the Spectre of Lanyon Moore is a sequel or a spin-off <laughs> Dimensions and Time. Right. Okay. Oh, there's another good scene where Grant and Phil in the garage with Romana. Yeah. That's a good good piece of drama and I love the, <laughs> the atmosphere. Maybe I was just sick of all the... Lo- relocation daylight shots and it was good to just get into it indoors yeah I mean that's the other thing as well even Lana Ward turns up I mean it's yeah. it's pretty much like ev- anyone and everyone who was involved in to- it's just amazing and it's not as if she's in it for massively long it's only for two seconds and of course she even does she does the Doctor Who gag and she, she still the- pre- performs it amazingly <laughs> yeah exactly she performs the Doctor Who gag and she still leaves Dimensions in Time with her dignity. Mm-hmm. Lala Ward is amazing. So should we say that's the best piece of drama in the whole thing? Or do we give that honour to Peter Davison? Mm, it's a bit tricky. Tough one. <laughs> I think, well, I don't know, it's, it is a bit tricky because Lala Ward's given the Doctor Who joke. But Peter Davison's also given some awful lines. But then they... <laughs> but then... They both managed to deliver them quite well. Mm. I mean, I've got to say, I, I think I'd probably have to give it to Peter Davison. Yeah. I mean, because clearly he knows how stupid the whole thing is, but he st- he, st- he still gives a good performance, which I just think is amazing. <laughs> so just yeah, phone it in. Everyone else is. But, you know, <laughs> ever the professional. Yeah. He does a good job. Yeah. Is it is it Romana that's dragged into the Vic? Yes, yes, it is. All oh, right, yeah. So she has another scene. Yeah. Um. So this must be the Ronnie's Tardis. Uh huh. Yeah. And then we've got Frank Butcher outside, <laughs> saying, "Well, I've seen them thrown out, but never dragged in." Yeah. With a good bit. Yeah. An interesting delivery as he sort of pinches his nose when he after he says <laughs> it, which is a bit odd, but yeah. <laughs> uh, that kind of ties in with. The day of the doctor <laughs> with Tom Baker, he's like, who knows? <laughs> Touches his nose. I think that's honour and dimensions in time. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a that's a, a reference I never got. Nice one, Stephen yeah. Moffat. Never yeah. saw that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the who knows is a reference to Frank Butcher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got Pertwee and Victoria. Yeah. Good team up. Um, <laughs> There's, what else there's, hang on hang on there's a brilliant bit with Victoria where the camera just cause my memory of it is that it seems to crash zoom into Deborah Watling's <laughs> face right and then she just screeches who was that terrible woman in a really really <laughs> do you know what would that be who was that terrible woman um, no I'm going to have to rewatch that I think that's probably a my highlight of Dimensions in Time <laughs> because it's just some really ropey direction with really 
just what prompts her to say that? Did she just say it? Did she just see the Ronnie and say that? They've seen the Rani in the previous scene or something. Oh, right. Because they're back on the Cutty Sark and they're about to enter the TARDIS. Uh-huh. Or something. I mean, what? I don't know. I mean, one of the things with this story is it's very difficult to keep track of where you are in it. It's very confusing, yeah. Anyway, we'll move on from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Seventh Doctor meets Leela. And this is where things get confusing. Right, no, okay, um, right this is the bit where I think might explain it there's almost almost a semblance of a plot here because after you get over what the hell they've given uh, louise jameson to wear um really interesting costume decision um the seventh doctor asks her what form were you in when you were captured right Uh, yes yes so i think there's some idea there which was it isn't just a case of cutting and chopping uh, willy-nilly just to chuck everyone in at this nonsensical thing. There was maybe this idea that they are... Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, that it is one Doctor, one companion that's kind of morphing back and forward. Yes, that's is it. That, okay. Um, I was also... I, I, that's the obvious explanation. I was overthinking it and thinking of an even crazier one. <laughs> oh, go on. I've got to hear it. Go on. What was when, when he says, when he says she was cloned. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking, are all the companions in this clones? Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, that's muddy the waters a bit. When he says, what form were you in? And I thought these clones were just changing forms. I was really confused. Your, your explanation fits it perfectly. Yeah, but then, but then... If she is a clone, that would explain her intelligence. They actually wrote a script for Leela. <laughs> right, okay. But... what? Why is there, a, why is there a, a time loop that goes every 20 years from 73 to 2013? Is that because it's the 30th anniversary and... The f- the first two doctors are trapped. Does that cover ten years of that? No. No, I know what you mean because it starts from no. seventy three. John Pertwee was the doctor from seventy. But we've got the the Dayton controversy. Oh, for goodness sake! You know what? I think we're giving this a lot. More. <laughs> I mean, we're not doing it seriously. But let's face it: we are giving this a lot more thought than I think John Nathan Turner and David Roden did, or whoever else was involved. I think, it, yeah. Uh. So the doctor figures out the Ronnie's plan, and at then least, he at least someone does. He he comes to the conclusion that there's too many time heads in the time tunnel, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Then we've got the seventh Doctor, Ace, and K Nine back, mm-hmm. and they stop the Ronnie's plan, whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The doctor connects with his other selves. Yeah. And yeah, too many time brains in the computer or something. I don't really understand. <laughs> that was the conclusion. Right, fantastic. And then it, and then and then they're very she... difficult to get rid of. Yep, Ronnie's pulled into the time tunnel. Uh huh. First and the second Doctor are freed. Well, I hope their heads get attached to their bodies. <laughs> 
Because, folks, if you haven't seen it, what they do to account for uh, the fact that William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton um, had sadly... I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. Because <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that they'd sadly passed away, they died. That's not why I'm laughing. <laughs> why I'm laughing is because in order to have them involved, because they're doing this thing and they've got to have all the doctors... They do it in the most dignified way that they can. I can't give a straight face. I've tried to. Which is half them as three-dimensional floating heads in the Rani's TARDIS. That's <laughs> oh, a shame. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like with the five doctors, they were they were respectful enough to include William Hartnell. <laughs> yeah. And but just, just stealing his likeness, though, for this. In such a bad way. <laughs> yeah, and the fact, I mean, because Jonathan Turner was involved with this, right? We're talking about man, right? Because he carefully recast uh, William Hartnell, uh, his doctor. He, ca- he carefully cast Richard Hernell to play the first doctor. He included a clip of William Hartnell and the five doctors, and he'd also written uh, to William Hartnell's widow to inform that, that he was, you know, was doing. How'd you get from that to a, a disembodied head? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as you as you know already, Liam, the the heads feature on the album art for the podcast. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. So you can check them out there. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> so <laughs> where are we up to? That's the whole story covered. Yeah. Um. So best doctor of the story. Do we agree, Peter Davison? Yes, I would. Th- yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Whose return were you most excited about? Or most pleased that they returned? I think the fact they've got Susan back in is quite nice. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to go to Romana, though. Yes, okay. And we forget, we haven't even mentioned Tom Baker. No, that's true, because he's at the very, very beginning. Yeah. Okay, so best team up. I'm going to go with the Sixth Doctor and the Brig. Not the third Doctor and Mel. <laughs> Just for how insane that is and the fact that it makes no sense and, and therefore <laughs> sort of sums up the entirety of Dimensions and Time. I suppose. <laughs> or or the third Doctor in Victoria because of that moment that I described before where they're just talking and right. they just seem to randomly cut into a close-up yeah. of Deborah Watley going, who is that awful woman? <laughs> oh, I'll go check that out. <laughs> Okay, so let's pick the best moment of the episode. I think when it ended would be pretty hard to Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, no, maybe. no. What, what would you give it to? I don't know. I'm torn between Frank Butcher outside the Vic uh-huh. or maybe Romana. No, it has to go to Pat Butcher for me. Pat Butcher? Yeah, Pat Butcher. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> when the camera, the camera should all be in there for about a minute. <laughs> yep, that's the one. Um, should we not dive into worst moments? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, we're spot for choice. Okay, what? Well, right. Um, hmm. What's the worst moment for you? <laughs> when it began. <laughs> <laughs> music's awful <laughs> it is oh, it really is it's dreadful just so everyone knows I downloaded the theme music 
to use on this podcast at the beginning, but since Liam was doing the editing, I don't think he'll use it. Well, I was going to veto it, but you know what? I'm going to insert it at this precise moment now, so we can all just revel in its musical <laughs> brilliance. <laughs> So we'll play it in the background now for a moment as well. (laughs) (laughs) We can't hear it, but for the sake of the listeners, it's there. (laughs) We want people to tune in every week to listen to this podcast, not put them off. You're talking over it, man. (laughs) I know, but just this irritating noise in the background. I don't know if it's over yet. Oh, a more important question. Could it be canon? Well, we've already answered that question. Yes. Yes, okay. What? Absolutely. Yeah, why wouldn't you want it to be? (laughs) I'm sure the novelisation would type a few loose ends. Rewrite the whole thing. (laughs) Actually give it a story. (laughs) We'll have to do a comparison. (laughs) It'll be... (laughs) Everything's different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One thing that's disappointing in the novelization is that actually the dialogue is believable. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's very telling that the author doesn't have the Rani say pickled in time like gherkins in a jar. Oh, you can't cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What was the writer thinking? That would be the tagline on the back of the cover. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Because apparently everyone involved in making this signed a waiver that um, no money whatsoever could be made from this. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the money raised for children in need. And that's why it's never, ever been included as a special feature and nor will it be. That's what I was thinking the other day. Yeah. So they'd have to release it free online. Yeah. Well, we've, you know, we've got YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it's fantastic as well because what's, uh, there's loads of stuff on YouTube now where they've actually got edits, uh, like uh, stuff that they edited out and mistakes and things like that. Mm. There's a bit where um, Kate O'Mara, who plays the Rani, she's just de- delivered a line, and Gary Downey comes and says, uh, I've just been told, can you tone it down a bit? It's a bit too camp. And then. Oh, really? Yeah, it just got bloody hell well, given her performance and what we from actually see. But Kate O'Mara's reaction was just like, <laughs> I always thought Doctor Who was Ken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe they'll uh, give it a physical release one day when it's historical. <laughs> release it in t- 10k 3D. Oh, 10k 3D, yeah. Ah, uh, we can't but dream. <laughs> so, shall we move on to the next one? Well, hang on, hold your horses. Well, have ranked it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. You got something in mind? I have, do you? Well, yeah, but I, I'm being a bit unfair. <laughs> Is it zero? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've given it slightly higher than that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I've given it two out of ten. Two out of yeah. ten. That's generous. <laughs> it is yeah. right I'll explain why, right? I've given it I've given it a one because let's face it, right? <laughs> it's enjoyable. I mean it's nonsense, but it's enjoyable. And you know, mm. and it, uh, it it has given us much to laugh about. And two, it did raise money for children in need. Yeah, of course. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I think, had we not had any Doctor Who after that, and this was this last piece in the Doctor Who legacy, that would have been a bit frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it would have. But I think, I mean, I think it would have been definitely one of those things that the fandom would have just abandoned and forgotten about. See, but they would have kept revisiting it, like we are tonight. <laughs> yeah. See, we just thought, let's go revisit Dimensions in Time. For no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would have been very so, frustrating, because, I mean, actually, it could have been the only televised Doctor Who of the 90s. And that mm. would have been depressing. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah, let's stick with that. Two out of ten. But amazingly, three three years later, we did get a serious attempt of trying to relaunch the show with the TV movie. Uh, but mm. because that was a joint American adventure, it had to be successful in Britain and America. It didn't have the audience figures that it needed in America, so that never materialised. So that that looked like it was it. There was going to be no Doctor Who. And then, yeah. out of nowhere, on the 12th of March, 1999, as part of Comic Relief Red Nose Day, we get The Curse of Fatal Death. Yeah. By Stephen Moffat. By Moffitt. Stephen Moffat, yeah. Where, where was he in 1983? In front of the television watching would, Dimensions in Time. Yeah. <laughs> Getting inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is one of the weird things growing up in the 90s, being a fan of Doctor Who, when, apart from Dimensions in Time and the TV movie, the show wasn't being made, and yet now and again, seemingly out of nowhere, there would it would... There would always be something that would somehow crop up. So there was quite a few times, for example, when Blue Peter did something Doctor Who related. Um, uh-huh. And I think that was the, I think the reason for that was because one of the producers was a fan of Doctor Who and just kept on. Ah, oh, let's just do something about Doctor Who as an excuse because I'm a fan. So all right, fair enough. And then this was another thing that popped up. And it's just like, uh, I mean, this was a, this was three years after the TV movie. Mm-hmm. More or less. Because I remember watching Comic Relief, and um, I was completely surprised by this. Do you, uh, did you watch it when it came out? Yeah, I've I've still got it recorded. All ah, right, okay. That was quite exciting. Yeah, I mean, do, do you remember watching it in '99? Oh yes, yeah. Do you remember it quite fondly? Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember because they they had an edited version of the Tom Baker title sequence, and. What they because you can watch this on YouTube and then they released it on VHS, and they didn't do that on the uh, on for the version that's on YouTube and the official release of it. But when it was being shown live on Comic Relief, so they had this edited version of the title sequence, and the O in the Doctor Who logo was changed to a red nose. Ah, uh, it's just occurred to me where the nose is yeah. gone. Because I always visualise the nose there. Yeah, yeah, because. So when I came back to watch it for this podcast, oh. I was just like, oh, all right, that's a change. That's interesting. I just, I, Where's the... Yeah. Who knows? 
You see, it's another nose. It's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a Pat, a Pat Butcher. <laughs> no, it's a bit of a um, Frank Butcher. Yeah, moment. yeah. Who knows? And I remember, uh, um, so I remember being really surprised that they were doing this thing. It was just like, all oh, right, okay. Um, but I remember really enjoying it, and I think looking back on it now, I still, th- I still think it holds up, and I still think it's funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. but on this occasion, it's deliberately so. It's, it's, a, it's a comedy. It's sort of like a spoof of Doctor Who. Yeah, and it's just the right level of humour, isn't it? Especially since we've got no live audience or kind laughter to help you along and give a, you know, give a bit of a laugh. Yeah. The the humour is just there. It's not necessarily laugh out loud humour all the time. No, no. I mean, uh... but it's not trying to be too funny. No, but I, th- I think it works. I mean, funnily enough, because even though we're, we're fans of Doctor Who, we love it. We we do know that there is stuff there to, to parody and take the mick out of. But funnily enough, mm. actually actually mocking Doctor Who is, I think, quite difficult to do. Victoria Wood, for example, who I absolutely loved and I still, I still watch her comedy, still makes me laugh. She did a spoof of Doctor Who. And even Victor- someone as, as great as Victoria Wood, she didn't get it quite right. I mean, one bit I, I do like is that she 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 names the monster Crayola, um, which I find a bit amusing. But her spoof doesn't work. Lenny Henry did it, um, and that didn't quite work. And I oh, was that Doctor What? Yeah, and then and then he's sort of like he, it's sort of like an entire spoof of Doctor Who, and then chucks in this bit where the cyber leader is a reference of, to Margaret Thatcher, which doesn't quite gel, and that's a bit weird, and that doesn't quite work. Um, mm-hmm. Dawn Fre- uh, French and Saunders did one, which wasn't mm-hmm. actually um, which wasn't actually broadcast. It was edited out the show. If you watch it, because it's available on YouTube, and funny enough, they did put it on the VHS of The Curse of Fatal Death at the end as an extra. Um, you can tell it was why it was edited out. It's really not funny. What's really bizarre though is that they record it on the set of A Trial of a Time Lord. Oh, yeah. right. Okay. Um, and they've got—I think they've got some of the monsters in the costumes from Doctor Who. But it's—it's it's really odd. The writing of it is a bit naff. But Stephen Moffat comes along, who's a fan of the show, and writes this, and I think actually does a good job. Oh yeah. It's like he's got the humour in yeah. there, but he sticks to the Doctor Who lore. Uh-huh. You know, you, you can't really fault this, can you? No, and in fact, because at the time, because I mean, at this point. I think everyone was just Doctor Who's not coming back. It's never going to come back. Mm. It's as simple as that. And I was perfectly happy for the Curse of Fatal Death to be classed as canon. Yeah. I mean, it follows on when Rod Atkinson's Doctor dies. Yeah. The Master says he's in his ninth body. So it's keeping up with the continuity. Yeah. So Rowan Atkinson's follows Paul McGann's Doctor. And I thought, you know, yeah. he, pl- he he plays it really well. And it's generally funny. Yeah. And I think my favourite bit of the whole thing is when the Doctor and the Master have arranged to meet um, at this castle. And there's that whole thing of they've set traps for one another, but they keep on failing because they they kept on travelling backwards in time to keep on bribing the architect. No doubt, because no one has set foot on this planet for a hundred years. You thought you had escaped my traps of death. But you forget, Doctor. I, too, have a TARDIS. When you told me to meet you at Castle Tursurus, I simply travelled back in time a hundred years. 
and I bribed the architect. Say hello to the spikes of doom. Say hello to the sofa of reasonable comfort. Naturally, I anticipated your journey back in time, and so I traveled slightly further back and bribed the architect first. Or so you think. Naturally, I anticipated your traveling back in time, so I traveled back in time to an even further point. And I bribed the architect first. So, so I thought, you know, I thought that was good, and um, that was generally funny. They've got, mm -hmm. they've, uh, and it's great again because this is BBC and it's comic relief and it's for a good cause. They've got a brilliant cast. So they've got Rowan Atkinson playing the Ninth Doctor. You've got Jonathan Price, who I think he's a fantastic actor. He comes in and plays the Master. Um, you've got the Daleks in there. There's actually some interesting production things in there. So when the show eventually did come back, a lot of the special effects originally during the Christopher Eccleston and David. Uh, tenant era were done by a company called The Mill will they provide the special mm. effects for this so right. arguably The Curse of Fatal Death is the first time The Mill work on Doctor Who um, they, they didn't have money for music cues so actually, uh, for, for original ones so actually what they do is they raid the archives for the, of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop um, mm. and they use music cues there's ones there from the Doctor Who documentary 30 Years in the TARDIS there's cues in there from Resurrection of the Daleks Warri uh, Warriors of the Deep and you know, if, if you're a fan you can kind of clock them yeah but you know that sort of works and then incidentally incidentally it works really well yeah yeah it does um, yeah. they've got some really good Dalek props for it yeah and um, I guess some of the visual effects are really good these the establish, establishing shot for Tursaurus. Uh -huh. That was obviously a good shot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If that was done by them. Um obviously the first shot in the story of the TARDIS in the vortex, that's recycled from the movie. Yeah. Um but that's the only piece of archive footage I picked up on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's in the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I think but yeah, I think um, Jonathan Price plays a really good master. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's a good—he's a really good actor, and he re clearly relishes and is really enjoying the humor and sells that well. And Stephen Moffat's given him some excellent lines. I mean, just even things like "I—I I wish you to know that your certain death is now certain." <laughs> you know, I love that because that's really good. It just—it does feel a bit—you know—it's—it's a, it's a funny line anyway. But there's. Um, there's certain lines in there which does feel like, you know, they could have been put in, in overly dramatic uh, classic Doctor Who stories. And the Doctor's decided to get married to his companion. Yeah. Um, the Master seemed quite disgusted, or I was wondering, does he seem jealous? No, I just, I just thought he thought the whole <coughs> thing was nauseating, just nauseating. I, I love Jonathan Price's uh, delivery of that line of just. Once I'm done with this nauseating conversation, that kind of storms off screen, um, and then later on to explain, you know, what he's going to do to the doctor. I love that. I think that's that does make me laugh. So then the, the the doctor gets killed, and then basically goes through his regeneration cycles, and then they, you know, so Richard E. Grant uh, plays the version of the doctor. He plays the tenth doctor in this case. Yes, he does. Yeah. It and he's also played the Schalke Doctor which 
I think was implied he was the ninth doctor in that case. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'd also like to point out you you'd like you'd be happy to consider this story canon if this is all we had. Um there's a eighth doctor book called The Gallifrey Chronicles by um Lance Parkin. Came out in two, 2005. Oh, yes, yes. Um I haven't read the book since then, I think. So it's been a while. But I seem to remember a moment where the look ahead to future incarnations of the Eighth Doctor, and I think he had three possible future versions of Do him. You mean the ninth? As the as the ninth, yes. And I think that was indirectly mentioning Eccleston, Atkinson, and the Shark Doctor. Oh, okay, that's Grant. quite nice. I think it's great when they get Joanna Lumley in to be the last Doctor. And yeah. the whole thing about, you know, um, I love it when she gets it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a subtly dirty joke, but when she gets the sonic screwdriver out and it's vibrating and goes, it's got three settings and she's getting really excited. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that's good. And again, they've got, uh, you know, Joanna Lumley, who's a great, uh, really, really good at acting and, you know, fantastic in comedy, as we know from things like Absolutely Fabulous. Um, yeah. And she, you know, she's brilliant. All the doctors are good in this. Yeah, yeah, because they? they got Jim Broadbent. They've uh, they got um, Hugh Grant, who at the time that that was you know that was massive because he was, I mean, he's still famous, but I think arguably he was at the peak of his popularity then. Yeah, he was the the big reveal, wasn't yes. he? As he was walking down the corridor and he lifted his head yeah. up, and he had quite a dramatic death as mm-hmm. well. I mean, there's there's some. I mean, the funny thing is that looking at it now, because Stephen Moffat has. Uh, was the author of the curse of fatal death and he was the, he's been a showrunner of doctor who it's funny looking back on this because actually there's a lot of the curse of fatal death which he put in so there's that whole thing you know about the you know the complexities of time travel you know i mean this is a bit jokey with constantly bribing the architect but that was a big trope of the stephen moffat era with the complexities of uh, of time um mm-hmm. you've got the whole thing when uh Hugh Grant's doctor dies and there's the whole thing of um I don't think the universe can bear being without the doctor and he's never he was never cruel and never cowardly yeah uh, which got mentioned in a few of, of Stephen Moffat's uh it resonates right through yeah yeah it, it yeah. does and I think of course the big one is and we get a female doctor at the end which has yeah. actually turned out to be the case and obviously when we've got Joanna Lumley's doctor his fiance Emma is quite disappointed, and then the master and the doctor hooker. Yeah, and you can imagine that happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could. So marks out a ten for that. Or anything? What would you give it? It's hard to fault it. I don't know. I don't know why I would mark it down from ten. To be honest, um, I like the level of humour, but I would have liked more humour. Possibly. Yeah, I'm just debating whether to give it a seven or eight. I mean, I think it is really good, but I, don't, I think that's the thing. I don't think it's as funny as it could be, but I still really enjoy no. it. Um, it goes to show you what dimensions in time could have been. Yeah, if they took a bit. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, this is a spoof of Doctor Who, and it works. It, it works so much better than Dimensions in Time. I'll probably give it an eight. Yeah, I'll go with that. Okay, so. The next story we're talking about is definitely canon. Yeah. 
Although at one point Stephen Moffat had to clarify it was. I mean, why would anyone even question that? Well, I I wasn't aware that anyone did. Okay. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about time crash now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a eight minute special. Is that right? Yep. As part of Children yep. in Need, broadcast on the sixteenth of November two thousand and seven. Um, the story's directed by Graham Harper. Yep. Who also directed The Caves of Androzani. Yeah, he's the only um, director of Doctor Who who's worked for both the classic and the new series. Uh, Hardly surprising because he is darn good. So, yeah, he directed um, Caves of Androzani, which was Peter Davison's final Doctor Who story. And he also, at this point, had directed a, a handful of David Tennant stories. And I remember really looking forward to this because, again, um, time crashed because it was two Doctors. It was the first time that the new series had done something like this. And it was bringing a classic Doctor Who back, a a classic Doctor back. Um, And at this point, Doctor Who, I think this was the first time, certainly within our lifetime, but this was when the popularity of, of New Who I mean, it was huge. It was massive. It didn't matter what the show was doing. It was always getting talked about, and people were tuning in left, right, and center. Um, so there was a there was a lot of pop, uh, a lot of um, publicity around it anyway. But the fact that Peter Davison was coming back, there was even more. So I know there was a lot of talk about it, and I remember really looking forward to watching it. Yeah, I remember the hype. I've I've probably got a Radio Times somewhere, which was promoting it on the front cover. All oh, right, okay. I remember reading an interview with Peter Davison in and he talks about how he got the original costume except he used Colin Baker's pants. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, um, there's a bit of the story. So when they were doing the regeneration scene, Colin Baker obviously had to wear a replica of Peter Davison's costume. But because Colin Baker was of slightly larger build, what they had to do was split the trousers at the back in a V-shape and then add more material, which would then be covered by the coat so you wouldn't see it. Um, and the, those those were the pants <laughs> that... <laughs> I think Peter Davidson has joked about this. It's, it's amazing the daft stories you pick up. So these are the pants that... <laughs> Peter Davison West in Time Crash. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I know this? I don't need to know this. But anyway, there you are. Oh, I love how this story obviously acknowledges the difference in appearance with Peter Davison. Yeah, I thought... Cause... Um, when he says the time differentials. And it's a shame because this could have kick-started more past Doctor appearances. Like They could have shown up at any stage looking older... No questions asked. I never thought of it like that, but I remember I always thought that because uh, once again, um, Stephen Moffat was the the writer of Time Crash, and I remember just thinking that was just a nice line, which summed up why, in you know previous multi Doctor stories, and then obviously jumping ahead of ourselves here, but with the Day of the Doctor, why, yeah. why the why a previous Doctor who should theoretically still look the same now looks older obviously because it's the actor's aged and i think really you should just be able to accept that and yeah. you know i think most people do but i just thought that was a that was a nice line of stephen moffat you know just explaining that which i thought was quite nice 
Oh, another little episode note. Um, Peter Davidson has real celery. I was talking. I thought it looked uh, very vivid. Looked very convincing. <laughs> and that's because it, that's because it's real. The other, the other one wasn't designed with um, HD in mind. That's that's the reason. I think also practicality as well because this is just a mini episode, so they can afford just you know. Whereas for practical reasons, I know during the eighties, it's actually just a bit of fabric. Yeah, <laughs> they've got a bigger budget this time. They couldn't afford fresh celery <laughs> every half hour. Yeah. <laughs> I like how the fifth Doctor thinks the tenth is a fan, and um, how the tenth Doctor says the fifth Doctor was his Doctor. It's a little bit meta. It is. There's a lot going on. Yeah. But I mean, it's even more meta because I remember, oh, I forgot where, there's, there's a clip of some Doctor Who convention and uh, they've got a panel of the Doctors and there's a member of the audience who asks Peter Davison, what's the weirdest thing a fan has ever given you? And without missing a beat, Sylvester McCoy goes, grandkids. <laughs> Because I don't think, in, even though in uh, in David Tennant's wildest dreams, he would have ever thought that Peter Davison would be his father-in-law. And yeah, th- there are these sort of references where it is sort of David Tennant saying to Peter Davison that he was a fan of his doctor. Uh, well, as you said, it, it is a bit meta with, with things like that. So it is quite nice. And um, the fifth doctor says, are you one of that Linda lot? Which is a reference to Love and Monsters. Love and monsters. Yeah. Mm. See, um, Time Crash will live on forever and people will just forget Love and Monsters. <laughs> so no one will get the reference. <laughs> I don't get the, the hate that Love and Monsters has. I quite like it. I mean, it has been a while since I've watched it. But I remember mm. enjoying that. Once um, the Fifth Doctor get, knows who T- Tenant's Doctor is, they seem to get on pretty well. Yeah. Who do you think the Tenth Doctor would get on with the least? I don't think he'll get on with John Pertwee's Doctor. No. Um, probably, I'm not sure. Would he get on well with... Do you think he'd get on well with the sixth? I like to think so. What about um, Capaldi and, and Tennant? Do you think they'd get on? Maybe not. No, I wouldn't have thought so. Oh, and when they both put the glasses on in this story, uh-huh. they both say snap just like the two Doctors. Yes. In fact, because it was, it was things like that of... Um, there were some moments when you go, oh yeah, actually there are moments of David Tennant's Doctor which are quite similar to the Fifth's. I mean, they're completely different performances. Um, yeah. But there are those nice touches, you know, the, the you know the web, you know, with their footwear, the glasses. You know, the fact that his voice goes squeaky when he gets angry and things like that. So I thought it was this again, this nice little nice little nod that um, New Who is. Is, is still in some way, you know, has a lot to owe to the classic series, which I think is, you know, nice that it was acknowledged. But, uh, it was a bit funny as well, because when Doctor Who came back in 2005, I wasn't wholly sold on it. I don't think it was awful, um, but it did take me a little while for, for me to fully appreciate it. In fact, it wasn't until I saw uh, Smith and Jones. Um, so this was uh, series three. It was 2007. Something clicked and then I, re- you know, I, I don't know what it was about that episode and that run of, and that series in particular, but there was something about two thousand and seven where, for me, something clicked, 
and then I was able to fully, you know, fully get in, fully get on board with New Who. I still like, you know, Christopher Eccleston's time as the Doctor to a certain extent and Tennant's first and second series. But there was always, I don't know what it was, there was something that which didn't fully click with me uh, until 2007. So this was quite nice that uh, finally I got it, was loving the show, and then towards the end of the year with this nice little mini episode, we had this thing with Peter Davison coming back. So, yeah. So did we rate Time Crash? Uh, no, no, we didn't. Do you want to uh, rate it? Oh... I'm not good at this. <laughs> I well, okay. Well, I would give it a nine out of ten because I think uh, I think it's a nice little jewel. I think uh, it's well acted, it's well paced, it's well directed, it's quite well written. The only reason why I haven't given it ten out of ten, and this is just a slight slight quibble on my part, is the whole you know when when the doctor goes what yes a, at the beginning and, and the, the beginning end. and the end in particular. Oh, I just think it's a bit much, and that irritates me a bit. Right, okay. uh, and so it's just a personal thing. I just it's certainly to it's just oh, oh, it's a bit irritating. So that's the only reason why I haven't given it a ten out of ten. In fact, my my I, my notes were the watts are annoying, otherwise good. Yeah, I made a note about the watts. <laughs> what what what? Yeah. But if I could mark it down one, it would be because the doctors get on so well. Ah, oh, right, okay. Possibly, and that's probably a strange thing to say. I would have preferred it if maybe they didn't. Ah, so there was a bit more. And, and, and the Doctor seems quite appreciative of the Fifth Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would I would have preferred something a bit different. Ah, right, okay. Possi- possibly. Ah, fair enough. Okay, I think that's everything. So thanks very much for listening. Um, just a few things before we go. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, we're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash cloisterbell. Uh, Twitter at podcastbell. Uh, and also on Instagram, cloister underscore bell. Uh, alternatively, there's our own website, cloisterbell.co.uk. Uh, if you could like, share and subscribe and get in contact, we'll be really, uh, it'd be really, really nice to, to hear from you. Um, but just to sign us off, Following the broadcast of Dimensions in Time, there was, which we mentioned earlier, the television programme Tomorrow's World. Um, We've got an audio clip where they're briefly describing how the 3D was made and their interview Sylvester McCoy, the director of Dimensions in Time, and John Nathan Turner. Um, So we'll, we'll end on that. But until next week, goodbye. I have to say, I feel a bit dizzy after that. But you can have a rest from your glasses for a moment. The 3D effect isn't difficult to see, although, to be honest, there are going to be a few people who'll never see it at all. It's not actually a new idea for 3D. It's been used for television before, but never so ambitiously as in this past week. So, how does it work? The 3D we see in normal life relies on our brains processing two separate images from two slightly different viewpoints. Most 3D systems reproduce different views for each eye and various ways have been invented for getting two moving images to our eyes. The two-colour system is probably the best known, but as with all these systems, if you're not wearing the glasses, the picture you see is much worse than usual, useless for broadcasting. But the 3D shown on the Beeb this week looks normal to people not wearing the glasses. That's because the effect doesn't rely on transmitting two separate images, but on a peculiarity of the way we see things. It's called the Pulfrick effect. 
What it is, is that the eye and the brain actually take longer to process a dark image than a brighter one. That's why you've got a dark filter on one side of the glasses. That means that the brain gets information from the right eye a fraction of a second later than the left. Now, that delay can produce a 3D effect when something's moving on your TV. The technique requires a bit of careful planning, not to say choreography, but probably the biggest challenge is 3D drama. We followed the BBC team making the new episode of Doctor Who, shown last weekend. It brought back some familiar faces, but it also brought together a lot of technicians, designers and camera experts to make it work. When was the last time you had that junk-keeping for an MOT professor? Oh, don't be cynical, eh? The instruments are just a little erratic, that's all. Great, well, the trick of the whole thing was to stage the movement to create the best 3D effect. A real challenge for the director, Stuart MacDonald. It takes perhaps a bit longer than it would simply shooting a, a regular drama. One of those reasons is that the shots, by definition, have got to be on the move most of the time. And if the camera isn't moving, the people certainly have to be. And so you've got to get three or four people to move in particular directions when they're doing their right line and so on. And the scenery plays an important part too. Okay, so we can slowly build up the foregrounds. Yeah, okay. For objects in the foreground to stand out, the camera must track past them so they cross the picture from left to right. We are running up to the pause. Oi! Is anybody there? Good. Now, what about the other foreground? I think it looks like a classic serial. It's the barrel work. Mm -hmm. We're going to reduce the barrel work. They place things in front of you, whereas before, normally, that's all clear, so you can be seen. But they give depth of field. All right, so the props are there, so prominently in front, so you Yes, they're upstaging you. Oh. Get away, prop. <laughs> Maybe actors don't like that. It has to be very much an action-adventure rather than a, a close dialogue situation because, obviously, the minute you get into close-ups, uh, there is no real 3D element unless you move the camera. And by moving the camera, quite often you'll move from one side of the face to the other, which gives you enormous grammar problems in terms of cutting the shots together. What's very important, of course, is that every shot doesn't look the same. If you're not, if you're not careful, you, you always have a bit of railings in the foreground moving in one direction or you always have a car always moving in that direction and so on. So um, we're aware of the movements but the real trick is how to vary them within the context of, of the drama piece. So is there a future for this kind of technique? I think its application in drama per se is a little limited in that it has to be something that's really specially written for it in order to make it work. I think that a, a 30 minute drama or or even a 25-minute drama, all in 3D, might get a little wearing.